0: everybody, welcome back to the Beyond the Peloton podcast. We are here talking about maybe a little bit of San Sebastian, maybe one rider from San Sebastian, and then the World Championships, which is on Sunday, the men's road race in Scotland. But Andrew, before we get into that, do you want to say a quick word about your podcast, Choose the Hard Way?
1: Yeah, Choose the Hard Way is a podcast about how hard things build stronger humans. This week, my guest is Kerry Werner. We talk about that controversial 2019 trip he took into the tape at Nats, Cyclocross Nats. If you don't remember that, go back, check the video out. I think Spencer might remember it. <laughs> uh, yeah. And his transition to life as a lifetime Grand Prix BWR gravel viewer. So come check it out. Find Choose the Hard Way everywhere you listen at HardwayPod and ChooseTheHardway.com. Links to the show on all your favorite platforms. That is, <laughs> to me, that was the peak of u.s cyclocross racing i
0: am excited to listen to that interview and get the inside story from there but andrew just off the top san sebastian was this last weekend rimko evanapol won his third win in three starts that's unbelievable i could never find someone else who had three wins in three starts of a world tour one day race i do feel like the race is a little it's kind of loose it's getting eaten alive by these world champions odd place world championships and olympics like It was between the Tour and the World Championships this year, which are earlier because of this odd idea that we should have a cycling festival and all the races should happen at the same time. And then you have the Vuelta after that. Next year, it's the Olympics. I'm worried about San Sebastian. They should probably try to move it somewhere else on the calendar. But did you have any thoughts about Rimko Evinable winning his third, not consecutive, but I guess third title in three starts at San Sebastian?
1: I mean, for any other writer, just winning a a stage would be something that they would write a book about later, and they would hang their hat on it for the rest of their career. For him, I kind of feel like it's that big deal, man. <laughs> you know, like yeah. So yeah. I don't, does it does it indicate anything about his form or where he's headed? I don't know. Maybe it
0: does feel like San Sebastian's becoming. It's just a mechanism for Evanable to leave altitude, test his form. It's like a little ramp test that he does before the races he really cares about, and then he wins on accident. He did win from a sprint, which I thought was interesting. He never used to win from sprints. Now he has four sprint wins this year. One was a gift from Roglic in Barcelona, I think at Catalunya. but he couldn't drop L.O. Bilbao, which you might. You know, you might flag that as like, eh, that's a little weird. He couldn't do that. But this is also a week earlier than it was last year in term, in relative to the Vuelta. He has worlds this weekend, which is probably the one he really cares about. But let's get into world championships. It is it's kind of always like this. You, every world's course is vaguely similar. It goes from this is not the thing that's vaguely similar. It goes from Edinburgh to Scotland. It's 270 kilometers long. 35, 3600 feet of climbing about that's a lot, sorry, meters of climbing. So that's almost 12,000 right. feet of climbing. And it just does a, it, you know, kind of meanders through the Scottish countryside and then does the city circuit in Glasgow over and over and over again. People look at these courses and think, well, that's not very hard. Like think of Wollongong last year in Australia. We would ride that course and think that was pretty easy, but they just do it over and over again. And for reasons unknown, no one quite understands this. City circuits are hard. Like the racing is all out all of the time. So you can have a pretty innocuous circuit that just slowly wears everybody down. Always a pretty selective race. I think the only one I can think of that wasn't was maybe 2011 Denmark, where Mark Cavendish won um, the world title. But usually you do not have, then that was pancake flat too, but usually you do not have sprinters winning these races. What do you think is going to happen?
1: Well, before we even get into that, what do you think about this overall concept of let's have all the world championships for all the different disciplines? I haven't checked, but I have to imagine trials is probably part of this as well. But what do you think about having everything at once in a city? Is that good for the sport of professional cycling and for the growth of cycling overall? Or does it not matter and it's just convenient for the UCI? Oh,
0: man. I mean, it's definitely the way for the UCI to host a single event you know it's its own mini olympics it's for glasgow for scotland it's going to bring as many people as possible so they can increase the bid price instead of i don't know what it costs to host the worlds it's expensive a few million euros maybe they could jack that up a little bit more i don't totally understand the synergy like should professional athletes be rearranging their schedule to promote trials biking or i think they even have they have like Uh, acrobatic biking. It just seems a little broad for me. I guess I can understand if you want a single event that people travel to and it's this festival of cycling. To me, in theory, it's something that in theory would be good. Maybe you'd throw that out in a meeting and it wouldn't make it to to actual execution. What do you think?
1: Well, Gravel World Championships are not part of this festival, so therefore it's not a proper world championship <laughs> festival in celebration of cycling. Also, I have to read this. The, I'm looking at the 2023 UCI Gravel World Championships, just the, the log line in Google, and the UCI says, Originating in the U.S. Midwest some 15 years ago, gravel has grown in popularity and is now booming worldwide um coming to veneto italy saturday october 7th and sunday october 8th not part of the celebration of cycling that will be taking place this weekend i don't like this second rate status for gravel i can tell you that we're getting a little <laughs> off topic though let's uh, just going back to the course like yes when you look at the course profile which i have done and i would assume many of our listeners have done it just looks like a nothing burger you have this one yeah, it's kind of like a stair-step climb that is at 182K. They get to the summit of that climb. I mean, nothing's going to happen. The race is going to come back together, and then it's just circuits. So what function do you see this single big climb serving, just kind of softening up the legs before we get into the fist fight that's going to happen for the next, geez, yeah, it's uh, the next 174 it's kilometers. Long. Yeah. Yeah. The
0: big climb a break will, if it's not already gone, will go on it. If it is already gone, it will extend its gap there. Nothing's going to happen until they get to the city circuits. It's going to be less exciting than the start of, um, Australia last year, which was, that was wild. The start of that race. Um, I think this is just, they're going to get to the city circuits. It's going to slowly ramp up the pace, probably somewhat similar to Belgium a few years ago, but you know, it's, in terms of distance and elevation gain, gain it's similar to Amstel Gold, which is a super selective race. I mean, Taddy Pogacar won it last year or this year solo. It's normally won by a climber. It's one of the hardest races on the calendar. So, doing twelve thousand feet of vert in a city, just going around and around and around, basically in a crit, makes the race incredibly hard. Um, you, you'll probably see some sort of selected group. These country domestiques will burn themselves out. You'll have odd dynamics because you race for your country not for your team but then there'll be people on trade teams well will have secret yumbo teammates embedded in the group who will work for them they'll eventually get stripped away you'll have remco dangling off the front while it's going to say hey does anyone want to pull this guy back and they maybe they'll say yes maybe they'll say no um Pogaccio will probably try to attack across and we'll have uh mayhem in the final it's going to be amazing
1: and campen in a tiny helmet with the most arrow position ever. Not giving anyone on the Belgian team an actual draft. Right
0: <laughs> I know. Him. I know. He's here as a domestique. I love it. I love and you, Victor no, no one's going to get a draft from this guy. Come on the hard way, buddy. We're pulling for you. I kind uh, of wonder wonder if they'll yeah, send him in the early move or something.
1: I don't, I don't know. I don't know if they send him in the early move because then you have the climb. We have seen, you know, he can hang in there on the medium-ish climbs. He's certainly not going to be... Drilling it in a 65-tooth chainring and uh, high altitude, but we don't have any in this race. One thing of note to me, Spencer, taking a look at the start list, United States stacked team, of course. We've got Quinn Simmons coming back from his ground contact at the Tour, Magnus Sheffield, uh, Nielsen Palace, the Polka Dot Boy, Mateo Jorgensen, Lawson Craddock, and Sean Quinn. What strikes me here is, you know, when the worlds were inconvenient and no one wanted to step up, USA Cycling turned to some of the real heroes of the sport. I'm talking about you, Scott McGill. They brought in Scott McGill. McGill delivered on rim breaks <laughs> in Wollongong. Where is, you know, where is he now? Like, where is the payback for McGill coming in as a pinch hitter when the USA needed him?
0: I agree. Yeah. This is McGill Erasure, he needs to be on this roster. Sean Quinn, what have you done for me lately? Um, I see actually decent results, a win earlier this year at the Kopi Bartley. That's pretty impressive. But, you know, it's, it's no McGill. Give me McGill. Um, the U.S. team actually kind of intriguing to me. Craddock's um, probably going to be working for some of these guys. But, like, Matteo Jorgensen, Nielsen Palace, Magnus Sheffield, I would have pegged as someone who could do something. But, man, that guy has got to be going through some – Tough times physically and mentally after crashing. He was in, I guess, an earlier crash at the Tour of Switzerland where Gino Mater passed away, landed in the same spot, hit his head hard. I mean, it was a long ball onto rocks. So I I wouldn't, you know, hold Sheffield to a high standard here. But Matteo Jorgensen, Nielsen Palace, two really good riders, especially Jorgensen. um, Pretty good course for him. The problem is like some of these big teams like Italy, Belgium, GB Spain seem to have endless riders when you look at the start list even Slovenia have you seen the Slovenian start list it's like yeah people it's like are these professional cyclists what's going on here like they don't have enough world tour guys to fill out this uh this full team they have
1: yeah I'm deep in um Sean Quinn's stats on procyclingstats.com Sean Quinn, I want to know what you've been up to. It's another rider I'd like to interview, but just taking a look at his program for the year leading into world championships, looks like his last race of note that made it on here is the Dauphine. And again, you know, he might have been slipping down to a few CBR crits. I've seen him in some Phil Guyman videos out there on the um, Lagrange Sunday ride up Nichols Canyon really laying down some big watts. But for the most part, no competition since the Dauphine and now sliding into the national championships. The legs should be fresh, but I wonder how USA Cycling sees him slotting into this roster. Um, I mean, and, sometimes I do. I, uh, I'm left with questions about,
0: not saying maybe Sean Coon will win and will feel like idiots, but yeah, sometimes yeah. I'm a little confused about how they come to their conclusions.
1: Well, and I think as we saw last year Probably a fair bit of this has to do with who's going to what race that leaves them unable to come to the world championships. I just, honestly, I wanted to see a, a slot for Scott McGill in here. Coming off a strong opening season in the, at the uh, world tour, uh, he earned it. Like, put him in. Here's
0: what's interesting about Sean Quinn. He's been heat training in Boulder, Colorado, per Andrew's recommendation. And then do you know what the weather's going to be like? in glasgow have you been to glasgow before it's probably cold, 55 degrees and 55 and and rainy and probably dumping rain buckets as they say um yeah that's going to be interesting to see how that heat training helps them there the man could be a popsicle by the end of the race you do bring up another good point that last year world's in a far-flung locale at the end of the season later in the calendar people didn't really seem to be locked in on it physically or mentally um (laughs) Exhibit A, Matthew Vanderpol had other things on his mind. Um, I think this year's going to be, the level's going to be a lot higher because it is sandwiched in between the Tour, the Vuelta. People are really taking this seriously. It's close. You know, it's, it's, a, not, a, it's not next door, but it's a close flight to where most of these guys live. So it could be tougher, I think, for Evanapol to just rip off the front, um, similar to how we saw at San Sebastian. He had to learn how to win in a different way because he couldn't just drop everybody whenever he wanted. So I I do not think that Remco, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Remco Evinpool will not drop everybody with 55K to go again and solo to this title. I think it's going to be a
1: little more hotly contested than that. I kind of see the favorites canceling each other out in this race. That's my prediction. We can get into that more specifically. But a prediction that I have 100% certainty about is that Matthew Vanderpool will not be staying at a hotel for this race, I get the man an Airbnb. Yeah, get the man an Airbnb, or perhaps he has an estate outside the city that's that's locked down. Like we don't know he. We know he has the money. Hopefully, he has accommodations um, that don't result in uh, <laughs> a, a non-racing incident prior to the race, like an ISIS by the. Just like off a busy road by yeah. McDonald's. Yeah, <laughs> like, I think he's. he's he doing? Yeah, they actually have him at a Holiday Inn Express <laughs> on the on the ground floor. Uh, he wanted access <laughs> to the, the ice machine, and he wanted to be the first person at that <laughs> built-in waffle maker that they have at the buffet. So he'll be down there. Okay, all right. By the uh, way, Spencer, again, like I'm going a bit off topic here. I've watched all of EF's behind the scenes videos this year, which have been fun. They're great videos, but watching the women's tour videos versus the videos from the men's tour to France, the catering, the disparity in in food availability really jumped out at me. The women's team really was getting like the Holiday and Express breakfast, whereas the men's team had, I mean, they had a custom van that was driving around with an awesome chef preparing everything for them. And I'm sorry, EF, if that actually was happening for the women's team and I missed it in the series, but it looked like they were getting like the, the Kellogg's kids um, cereal boxes and a a thing of yogurt every morning. So let's, let's fix that. That's not right. I've been there. (laughs) I'm having PTSD from you describing these these (laughs) breakfasts,
0: but I, yeah, I do think I I love to dunk on EF. I think this is part of their vision because currently the women's team is not really associated with the men's team, except for EF being a sponsor. Like EF owns the men's team, the company. Mm. And so, I think they're getting rid of, or they're not going to sponsor that women's team any, any longer next year. And they're going to start their own in-house women's team. Perhaps that's one of the, one of the thoughts that they can then offer parity and um, support between the races, because I'm sure this is a point of contention and people have brought it up, but I just want to read something to you. This is going to be a cold, rainy day in Scotland. So the climb finished, the climb tops out with 1.5 K to the finish line. They then have a technical downhill run-in with five corners to negotiate. Moreover, there's a tight chicane with 750 meters to go. Two left-hand turns before the final 400 meters. So rainy, and they're doing this over and over and over again in the pouring rain. I'm concerned there's going to be a lot of crashes here. Like this seems um, like maybe they shouldn't have done this. Maybe (laughs) get a slightly safer course. I think there's a reason there's no one from the Volta here except Remco Evanapol.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm thinking about other world championships that have been won in the rain. And I believe both worlds that were won by Americans, elite men's worlds that were won by Americans, were won in the rain. I believe both Lamond and um, Lance won in the rain, didn't they?
0: I definitely know Lance did. I believe Lamond did. Which worlds did he win? Do you know where that was? No. I, I remember one in Colorado Springs, but I think maybe he didn't win that one. Um There was a, do you remember this rainy worlds in Florence? It must've been like 2013, perhaps 2014. Um, it was just like a dumping rainy world championships. Um, I think Rui Costa won with Valverde, of course, there at the end. And there was a lot of crashes. Like it was, but just a lot of people dropped out as well. I'd assume it's unfortunate. I assume you're going to see the same thing here. Like if these riders get to the circuit and their job is done or they don't think they can win you're probably going to see a lot of dropouts.
1: Yeah. Do, do you think that there's a chance that Remco goes down this path of becoming like an Oscar Freire typewriter, just like wins numerous world championships and then kind of, yeah, whatever. This well, is out. Freire,
0: I think he won like three
1: Milan San Ramos <laughs> and then like a bunch. Yeah, of tour- I'm, I'm just saying, but like, pages. OK, so it's not a it's not like he won nothing, but it's not the Tour de France, which is everyone's thinking Remco is going to step up to the Tour de France level and start winning. Anything I think mean, less will be a total disappointment. We'll I mean, be ashamed of you.
0: I don't. <laughs> Remco, you're going to you're going to disappoint us. I don't think he wins in other worlds. I mean, I think we've been spoiled recently with like Sagan winning three in a row, Philippe winning two in a row. Most guys win a world championship and they never win one again. It's such a hard race to win. That's why I think it's a little odd. Van Aert and Vanderpool, the I guess the focal point of their season is world, is this race, is world championships. It's a little bit of a lottery. I mean, you just need a lot to go right. It's weird because you don't have your team. It's tough to win more than one. I mean, it rarely happens. I don't think he wins another world title. I mean, we can't talk about Remco for a second. I am excited we get to see him at the Volta yeah. against other good riders. It seems like his calendar is specifically designed. It's also not his fault that Taddy Pogacar crashed at the and they didn't get the pep race against each other. But we will get to see him in a Grand Tour against other top riders. I'm still not convinced. I think he could win multiple Volta's, maybe multiple Zeros. I don't know. I don't know about the Tour. I'm with you on your hesitation there. Just I haven't seen high-altitude alpine climbing from him like I'd want to see for him to compete, but we'll have a better idea after Jonas. But what did you think of his comments? A, about he called the rumors that he's going to this not a, a bit of bullshit. It's like, well, what does that mean? A bit? So, like, just kind of bullshit? Or what's the deal there? And then he also said that Jonas, he, he could probably have beaten Jonas at the tour. Or, or his, uh, if I'm being fair, I think he said, I do those numbers too, which is true. Factually, that's correct. I'm sure in training, yeah. they do the same numbers. Not sure you need to say that. I'm sure Jonas noticed those comments, and I'm sure Jonas is excited for the fall. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I I think that both of those statements are accurate. It's a little bit of bullshit, his second statement.
0: Yeah, I mean, but you're also saying it's, he's kind of cherry picking because you're saying, well, okay, these guys are in the middle of a three-week race where it's hard yeah. racing every day. And you're saying, yeah, my best training numbers are up there. It's like, well, that's not exactly the laboratory they were in.
1: Oh, totally. That's like saying I had six watts per kilo in my 20-minute power test on trainer road, and I could do a full flag faster than Vodder's, you know?
0: Yeah, it is a little bit like, I said this already on the Move podcast, so sorry, I'm recycling content. But it's a little bit like a Masters racer who wins the like, men's 50-plus and is like, you know, I could be winning the pro one, too. I'm doing the numbers they're doing. Like, I got it. It's like, well, you could have done it. You could have raced. You're welcome to show up and race, Remco. But yeah, I, I think there's just some comments that you wonder, like, why? Now, why would you say that? Who's advising you on saying this? But I would think that Primos and Jonas are, uh, are pretty pumped for this matchup.
1: Yeah, and I would say non-zero chance that we're going to see a major rider, a.k.a. Tade, someone else, end the day with a significant injury. I feel like, sorry, I keep making these injury predictions, oh, but I mean, as, as you just yeah. said, like, look at the parkour, right? This is a highly technical, likely-to-be-wet city circuit, and yeah, like something, something bad's going to happen. Somebody's going to be on the ground, and somebody's going to break a wrist or have something that... Uh, that knocks him out. But that's, that of course is just bike racing. Um, looking at the start list here, Spencer, who are we not thinking about that could be that unexpected contender? I'm looking at mods, of course, over there for Denmark. That's why um, right, I circled. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean,
0: this has got mods written all over it. Like yeah. this is actually similar to the worlds he won in 2019.
1: What do you think about Dylan Van
0: Barl? It could happen. I mean, it seems crazy because he, Hasn't really done a ton this year, but at world so we should say you you do did remind me. Tadej Pogacar's here has to be the favorite. You'd think he yeah. can sprint, he can climb, he can win many different ways. Wout van Aert, Jasper Philipsen. I'm curious to see how Philipsen does. Can he get over these climbs? Probably not. But the guy did get second at Roubaix, which is really impressive. Remco Evenepoel. Those would be the big favorites. And Matthew Vanderpool. Um, That's so Vanderpool, wild.
1: I'd totally forgotten that Philipsen. Had that result.
0: I know. I, <laughs> That's, that is wild. It's wild. Wow. And I know, I, I, I actually had to look it up. I was like, what, what did this man do earlier this year? I was like, oh yeah, he probably could have won the big, one of the biggest races on the calendar had he not sat back and been a good teammate. Yeah. Um, Vanderpool, I'm a little curious about like, what was going on with the illness at the tour and then finishing the tour. Like, if you're really sick, you shouldn't do that. Yeah. Pedersen could, could win here. As you say, Van I'm looking at like these guys like, Valentin Madois, Dylan Ben Barrow, guys who were at the tour doing a lot of work, you know, get getting the hard yards in. And a lot of times you do see people come good after that, where you're just yeah. sitting on the front for a few weeks, you rest, you then go to worlds, you're a little bit of a wild card on your own worlds team. I I could definitely see that happening. And I do think I think we'll see a bit of an oddball winner here. Like maybe not one of the big favorites.
1: What's the word on the street regarding Mark Hershey? Not the same since his hip injury, but, you know, I mean, when he came onto the scene, he looked like a future Galactico before Galactico was the term we were throwing around. Yeah, when Galactico was still
0: in soccer. Um, man, I don't know. That's us talk about a weird situation. I don't know how much we want to get into here, but he was on Sunweb, DSM slash DSM when they were making the transition. Unbelievable. And then the team just terminates his contract like two days into the 2021 season and then on background Mm. comes out, not on the record and just says like, this guy's shady. We couldn't have him on the team because he exposed us to too much risk. It's like, I don't know what that means, but it sounds like you're accusing him of doping. Why would you do this in secret? If you really have information on him cheating, maybe go to the UCI because just saying this to a journalist off the record is probably not the best way to handle it. I felt a little bad for him after that. He had these weird, Oddly timed medical procedures, which I never fully understand, like why someone would get their wisdom teeth out in December or do a hip surgery in December. Maybe do that at like now, right? Tail end of the season that you're racing. So you have more time to recover before next year. Um, But he is coming back. He's not at the level he used to be, but he is. There's some like some signs of life there. He wins the last race of 2022. He won two. He won the Swiss road race championships. and then. A race none of us watched because it was during the tour, right after the tour, like a one-day race in Spain. He's not. I mean, I could see him coming out of nowhere and at least being in a move that is like part that is the winning move, essentially, or threatening a group of favorites. And Mark Hershey's driving a group of, let's say, B to C tier favorites up front. I mean, the guy, he's only twenty-four years old, super talented. I'm curious to see. If he can recapture the form he had in 2020 when he jumped onto the scene, I'm still not quite sure why he hasn't been able to recapture that.
1: Why do you think Caleb Ewan is in a race with 12,000 feet of climbing? Yeah,
0: I don't understand right? that. After,
1: after he couldn't finish the tour. I mean, maybe they didn't have anybody else to send or I don't know. That just seems really peculiar to me. How is he going to contribute It's also possible
0: the sprinters think they're going to win this. As I mentioned in our pre-record, Olaf Koy won a tour of Poland stage yesterday, and like the headline on cycling news was like Olaf Koy sends warning shot for Worlds. Yeah, it's like maybe the. It's like I'm curious how that would happen since you're on a team with Matthew Vanderpool. Who? What if Vanderpool has to work for Olaf Koy? He he is now just the expert leadout man. He, (laughs) He no longer wins races, but I think maybe the sprinters think they can win this i don't understand why because australia a lot of strong riders a lot of strong riders based in europe you could send anybody to this race the fact that ewan's there maybe they think this is like a repeat of denmark i think not i think if this the closest you're going to get to a sprinter is like Wout van Aert or mads Pedersen.
1: yeah maybe for right now the thing that i'm thinking about probably because i just started rewatching the movie star documentary and in season, uh, season two or season three, they had the opening of the 2020 Tour de France when there was, of course, Olive Oil Gate. That's the secret that you revealed here on Beyond the Peloton a few <laughs> I, episodes ago. I never verified this. All right. But, well, this is, your, that... this is your theory, right? That there was olive oil all over the road. It was like I, I, Pope a Popeye cartoon. I heard that the, <laughs>
0: the rain was coming through the
1: olive trees and then create an olive
0: oil on the road and everyone was
1: crashing because mm. of it. It's yeah. plausible. Yeah, I think that's I think that's specifically how olive oil is typically made. But <laughs> th- thinking about this, I mean a factor that we didn't talk about, going into an urban circuit like this, and this is like this is if you look at the map, this is freaking downtown Glasgow. I guarantee <laughs> DT you, Glasgow, baby. Yeah, this is DT Glasgow. You've heard about it. Um now we're gonna be racing bikes there. These these roads are gonna be covered in diesel and tire particles. It's not gonna be optimal conditions for traction and then you sprinkle a little bit of that signature glasgow drizzle on top of that and you this is train spotting basically
0: yeah and i'm sure there's still soot from the industrial revolution on these streets and i would bet i i have not done the google image searching like i should be i would bet some of them are not paved i, I would bet they're cobblestones or brick yeah um st- it could be tough i mean this could be not a great situation. Yeah. And Glasgow is not the, uh, the city of the future, shall we say. I don't think they have a full EV adoption like Norway does. I would bet there's a lot of diesel cars, a lot of diesel trucks driving around there dripping all over the road. Maybe it does rain so much that there won't, it won't be so slippery, as slippery as Nice was, but it's definitely not going to be, uh, I would not say the safest and most crash-free circuit that we've ever seen.
1: All right, another name that's jumping out of me, and again, I don't know after twelve thousand feet of climbing, but Casper Asgreen does he stand a chance on this parkour? Yes. Oh my God, I love this name.
0: Um, yes, absolutely. I mean, that guy was uh, I, he, he had diamonds in his legs, as the Belgians would say, in the last week of the tour. I mean, one of the strongest riders in the last week of the Tour de France. This is like exactly the type of rider that could win this race, and we all say, who, who the heck is this? And he's on a strong national team. I mean, the Danes, yeah. I believe, have a full a full squad here. A lot of strong riders. I mean, this is exactly the type of rider who could spoil the day for our dear Tade or Wout. And Wout gets another second place behind Caspar Askren. W- would, would be an entirely plausible scenario.
1: Yeah, it's difficult for me to imagine Wout winning this race. And the, just my main theory, I think I said this already, but I just see the... The real favorites here, Wout, Rimko, Vanderpool, Tade, somehow neutralizing each other and someone else taking advantage. I think there'll just be a slight lull within that final final K and somebody like Asgreen drills it, you know, just like they're coming out of that final corner at CBR and Dominguez Hills, goes for it and takes the win while everybody else is sitting around watching each other.
0: Yeah, I mean I totally agree. I think kind of the an oddity of worlds and why it's so hard to win is you have the favorites. So think back to like E3, where we had the three favorites. Van Hart, Vanderpol, Pagachar. They go. When they go, no one can stay with them. It's a battle between those three. The tough thing about worlds is you have the favorites. You have Pogachar, Vanderpol, Vander Vanderpol, Van Art. And then the B and C and D and E level tiers are so good that it's not just a battle between those three. And any type of hesitation could have, as you said, Caspar Askren ripping off the front. That's a what 2021 Tour of Flanders winner. The guy almost won two consecutive tour stages. There's just so many talented riders nestled between, you know, 20th and 50th on the start list. If you rank them all by, you know, pro cycling stats points for this year, that it gets really tough. Like, even think about Alberto Bettyall. Like just, right guys I had a result in forever, he could win this race. It's not impossible.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. We haven't talked about him, and not many people have talked about him as a potential winner, he unfortunately, made that. in quite a while, but Julian Alaphilippe. Oh, man, I don't, I don't know if
0: I'm ready to go there. I don't see yeah. that happen. That would be awesome, but I, I was actually shocked by his tour form. I mean, it wasn't like, oh, he's just having... It's not like Thibaut Pino... If you squint, you could imagine him having won a stage at that tour. Just things go a little bit differently. Alaphilippe, it's, it's like, it's hard to, it would be hard to have imagined him winning a, a single stage at that last Tour de France with the form he had. I think that's going to be tough for him. It does look like he is leading his team. I mean, maybe Christophe Laporte, actually. That, that's another guy that could win this, and I wouldn't be shocked. But you wouldn't expect coming into it.
1: Yeah, I'm just doing a quick scan here. Who else is jumping out? We already talked about Betty all. Yeah. What happened to it, the Brit? I I, I mean, well, you have um you have the loyal Lieutenant turned Tour winner Garrett Thomas going for the Vuelta the Vuelta title where I think he has smartly
0: not doing this road race.
1: Yeah, not doing yeah. this road race. I just like the Remco thing is a head scratcher for so many reasons, I think. But he must be highly confident he can win the race. He's he's Remco and he's compared his watts to those of others. Um, <laughs> he he kind of does have to race this. I feel like it's defending champion. Yeah, yeah, of course, he probably yeah, you does gotta, have to do it. Yeah, you it's have to not you have to ideal least show for up. Yeah, yeah, not ideal for the Vuelta, and who knows? Maybe he's a big trials fan and just wants to see Danny <laughs> McCaskill in, in downtown Glasgow. Maybe. yeah, yeah. I mean, I've seen I saw Danny McCaskill live inside the Crystal Bridges Museum when I was down in Bentonville one time, and you know it would be worth going and racing a World Championships just to see it live. It's pretty impressive. I, so, I would imagine. Yeah. Well, but I, yeah. Looking at this Great Britain squad, I mean, you've got. You know, Fred Wright, Ben Swift, uh, Connor Swift, Taylor Swift—like all the Swifts are here. They're, they're either Ben. It's
0: there's two types of British writers. You're either Ben Swift or you you have Ben or Swift, and you can either be one of those. So you have Ben Swift, but then you also have Ben Turner, but then you also have Connor Swift. It's right. very hard to keep them all straight. I think Ben Turner is maybe like a big talent. The the he's like the hipster uso? people love this guy okay i'm curious to see what he can do here fred wright maybe could do something i mean he had a decent tour probably his decent form but it doesn't seem like the most star-studded squad i've ever seen from the brits at a home world championships like i, I would almost i would dare to say the u.s has bigger talents on their team even though the depth isn't the same
1: Okay, and we haven't talked about this, just thinking about neighboring islands. What do you think about Ben Healy's chances in this race? Representing Ireland.
0: Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about this. It's, it, I, it actually makes a lot of sense. It's, he grew up, I think, in Northern England, so obviously he'll be familiar with the, with the weather. It's a good course for him, but he was just so good earlier this year. I don't know if he can recapture that magic. Um that would I feel like that's a big ask. He didn't seem the Ben Healy we saw at the Giro at the recent San Sebastian. I I would be surprised if he's in the final group.
1: If you're Great Britain, how are you leaving Pidcock off the team unless Pitcock is, is totally effed coming out of the tour potentially? Or you know what? I've I have this feeling, I haven't looked. He's probably racing the mountain bike world championships. Right? Hold on. Yeah. Now we have, now we have must, to look. But it seems, like this, it seems like this course actually would be not bad for Tom. So let's look at the mountain bike world championships
0: start list. I, I would imagine he's doing this. And then just as Andrew looks us up, I'm going on vacation next week until the Vuelta España. But we will have an, a pre-Vuelta episode pre-taped for you coming out with uh, Jonathan Kaplan from the Riding With newsletter. Um, hopefully we don't record it and then have the guys break their collarbones before the race. I'm, I'm concerned this could happen.
1: Okay, this is perfect. So I'm on the highly advanced UCI website. I have clicked on the riders tab for the Mountain Bike World Championships, and it is it is blank. It says no results found. I um, I guess they're going to update it a bit closer to the race to let us know who will be in the race. So I don't I mean, know, but I'm racing to-
0: world. Cups earlier this year.
1: Yeah, I'm sure that there's some. Maybe Rule Euro has a story about it. I have to know. Um, You know, Pitcock has previously he's raced every type of World Championship, including at one point the E Mountain Bike World Championships. I do recall this. Yes. Yeah, many forget that. um, (laughs) Did he win? I don't know. I don't know if he won. I mean, it's uh, it's okay. Selected for. Hold on. Tom Pickcock selected for UCI Cycling World Championship squad. It's always great to pull on a GB jersey. Uh, okay. Yeah, I guess he's racing cross-country. Bizarre. Yeah, perfect. He could, yep. he could win Makes this world. perfect sense.
0: Yeah. 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 All right. There, there's that there is some stuff to sort out there over at Ineos with that situation.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we can talk right. about it more later. But... Um, Spencer, any closing thoughts? Nope. I am just, I'm
0: pumped to watch it. I'm, I'm confused why it's happening at this point in time. I feel very, uh, just, I, I don't know what to say. Like, world championships in between the Tour and the vaults. I never thought I'd see the day. But now that it's here, I, I'm, I'm curious to see what happens.
1: Yeah, I'm going to reach out to Scott McGill today and get his take. I'm curious who he thinks is going to win. Do a live watch along with McGill. That'd be something else. He's the whole time that he's not at the race. Shout out, Scott. All right.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much, Andrew, and we will talk soon.